we're uh, we're finishing up our our last series here on the on the Ten Commandments, and uh, th- this last one I I really like because you know some of the other ones we may say well there's there's some things I deal with there's some things I don't deal with but I know for all of us we deal with this one area and that's finding contentment in our life how many have ever struggled with being content in a situation that you didn't like being in right that's hard when you're going through a situation or struggle you're like lord why am i going through this and many times the lord leaves us in that situation so that we can find our ultimate strength and contentment in him and you're thinking well pastor what does that have to do with coveting with this 10 10th command well it has everything um, to do with it. And, and so what I, I, you know, basically in a nutshell, this whole series we've done in the Ten, Ten Commandments boils down to our relationship with God and our relationships with others. It's not so much about all the do's and the don'ts that we need to do in our lives, the things that we need to do for the Lord, the things we shouldn't be doing in the sight of the Lord. It really boils down to relationship with God. Ultimately, God wants your heart. That's ultimately what he wants. He wants your heart because when he knows that he has the central part of your life, when he has your heart, everything else flows from that. And so if he just has your mind and, and not your heart, if you're not born again, if you haven't walked in that newness of relationship with the Lord, then it's just religion. It becomes mundane. It becomes mechanical. And God does not want us to have a, a mechanical religion that, that has no meaning of spirit or life. God desires to, to have your heart. I, I love what, how Jesus tells us to pray. Jesus tells us to pray our Father, our Father who art in heaven. Paul in Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, what? Abba, Father. And what's interesting about that, that word, Abba, it's, it's Aramaic, and, and it means close, intimate relationship. It would be like, it would be like saying dada. Not, not in an irreverent way, but in an intimate way. That, that's the kind of relationship that God desires to have with you. I, I, I can't imagine my 12-year-old daughter coming up to me, Lily, and saying, Father, may I go out and ride my bike, Father? She didn't say, she, she, she's, we have an intimate relationship. We have a close relationship. She knows me, so she calls me Dad. Hey, 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 dad, daddy, my, my, my 16-year-old son calls me daddy, right? Daddy, what do you want? And he calls, he calls Kathleen mommy. It's kind of cute. We like it. But he goes, mommy, when you're 16 years old, you call her mom. But he calls her mommy because it's that close, intimate relationships. When, when Lily sees me or she hasn't seen me or when she was younger and she'd be taking the bus home and she'd see me in the driveway, she'd run and she would just jump into my arms. She didn't wait and say, father. May I jump into your arms now? She would just automatically, because she knew I was going to not drop her. It's getting kind of big for that now. But she, she knew that I was going to drop her. She knew I was going to let her run into my arms. That's the relationship that God has with us. God wants to have a relationship with him that will be protected. He wants our relationships with one another to be pure and not harmed. That's really what the commandments are all about. They're to protect our relationships so that we may glorify God. They're not given to restrict us, but in fact, just the opposite. They're given to free us so that we're able to live under God's blessing. So let's look at this last one. If you can look at your notes or there's Bibles there. And by the way, the Bible, if you don't have one, those are free in the seats there. You can take those and uh, by all means use those for, uh, for your reading 
for reading the scriptures. But let's look at this last one, Exodus 20, verse 17. We've been going through Exodus here through the 10 commandments that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai uh, and how to lead the children of Israel when they would eventually enter into the promised land. So Exodus 20, 17, reading from the English Standard, Standard Version says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. Now, at first read, we need to understand what this commandment means. This commandment is, is one that is not overtly seen. It, it's something that really deals with the heart. The other commandments are, are, are spoken words or actions that we commit against God or one another. This one is much more covert. It's, 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 we, we hide this one much better because this command deals with our heart. It's a, it's a desire to have what someone else has that, that doesn't belong to me. So let, let, me, let me contextualize this because you're thinking, okay, it, it hasn't been too long since I coveted my neighbor's ox. I don't even know what that is, but I, I haven't really coveted my neighbor's ox or if my neighbor has servants, I'm living in the wrong neighborhood, right? So I haven't really coveted those things. So let's, let's just fast forward it a little bit to today to contextualize what I mean. Let me just show some pictures for you. How many of you, when you see a picture like this, ah, uh, going to a little tropical island, right? Some of you may have friends that have gone on trips or have gone to tropical islands, and you're like, wow, I wish I could really go to where they go, that nice warm water, and just chill out on a tropical island. But I can't, and so we may get envious of someone else that's able to do this. Uh, some of you say, okay, that doesn't really bother me. Let me really hit home for you 315ers, okay? Now, can I get an amen? amen? All right, all you Duck Dynasty fans, now we're talking. How about if, you, how about if your friend got, you're out hunting with your friend, and he drags, wait, go back. No, we're going too fast. Go back to the, and your friend drags that out of the woods. Don't tell me some of you hunters wouldn't be just a wee bit envious and coveting that trophy buck, the biggest one ever taken down in Wayne County, all right? Let's go to the next one. Some of you may, it may be for some of you, it may be the car. You know, someone pulls in a nice new sports car and you're like, wow, I'm still driving my family minivan. I could never get one of those because I've got a family of five. It's just not practical. If you see me pulling into church in one of those, I've hit my midlife crisis, okay? It's not too far away. Okay, for some of you, it may not be that. It may be this. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that right there. You know that was coming back, right? And that's not Photoshopped, all right? Some of you are like, oh, Photoshop really worked. No, that is a 30-pound king salmon we think. We don't know. It could be an 80-pound. We didn't have a, a scale. So to me, that's a 60-pound king salmon, all right? All right. So, so what is it about? Let's move on. Yeah, let's, let's keep that picture up. No, I'm just teasing. We'll keep. What, what is, coveting basically is the same thing as lusting. You're, you're desiring something that isn't yours. And, and what, the, the issue, why coveting made the top 10 here is covening is what's the driving force that fuels bad or wrong behavior. 
So what happens is, is if, if we're not careful with our hearts in the area of coveting or lusting, what can happen is we can, we can begin to manipulate and contrive and scheme to get what we want. Coveting tends to break the first commandment too. For this reason, we can make things we want so much, so badly, that it be, can become an idol in our lives if we're not careful, if we put it above God. So James, I think, puts it very well in James 4, verses 1 through 3. He was this warning against worldliness, and James kind of gets to the root of it here. James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? What causes it? Is it not this? Is it not your passions, your lusts, your desires that are within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so because you can't get it, you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly or with the wrong motives to spend on your own passions. And so what we see here in this 10th commandment is what James is reiterating is it all deals with our heart. It's, it's, it's not wrong to want things. If, 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 if you have an insatiable desire to want things that becomes an uncontrolled desire to want more and more and more, and I'm not satisfied, then it's a reflection of a deeper issue that goes to the heart. And so we've got to keep our heart in check here. It's not wrong to want a new vehicle or to want to get a big buck or to catch a big fish. There's nothing really wrong with it. But if it becomes this insatiable desire to want more and more, and then it's never satisfied, that very thing can become an idol in our life. And that's what God is protecting us from. Because, Jer listen, it deals with the heart again. Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 17, 5, he says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes the flesh his strength, whose heart, what, turns away from the Lord, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Jeremiah also says in 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked, the King James reads, who can understand it? So once again, we've got to be careful we don't trust our heart. We've got to constantly guard our hearts. So th this 10th commandment is not just about, okay, don't covet. Okay, I've got it in my mind. It becomes another religious thing we do. It's really much deeper. It goes to our hearts. And if our hearts are not laid out before the Lord, they can easily go astray. So we've got to constantly keep our life in check. So let me first give you the result of coveting. And I call it the three deadly D's of coveting. What's the, what's the end result of, of coveting? Well, let me give you the first D. It's dissatisfaction. The reason why coveting causes dissatisfaction is because it's never enough. We are not content. We have so much, but it seems like it's never enough that we have. Try to remember real quick what you got for Christmas last year. I bet you can't remember because what happens is things lose their appeal very quickly. Um, it's like the little boy or girl who gets the toy right for Christmas and then they play with that for five minutes and then they're playing with the box because that's more exciting, right? So it, they lose their appeal. There's this dissatisfaction. What coveting does is it creates a dissatisfaction within our heart that we constantly need more. And aren't we bombarded with that in our world today? Everything is new and improved. I, I was 
watching the U.S. Open tennis on TV and Mercedes-Benz, uh, they're one of the sponsors, uh, advertisers for the U.S. Open. And they've got a Mercedes-Benz now, one of their classes, that actually has their seats are massage seats. You can sit and get a massage while you're driving. And when you buy one, it actually comes with a masseuse that sits in the other seat with you and goes everywhere with you. I mean, it's crazy, crazy. I, re how many, I just remember the days when I had the two-door Chevy Chevette. Cloth seats, no air conditioning, at no radio, hatchback, rear-wheel drive. It got 32 miles a gallon. Love that car. Stick shift, Chevette, stripped down, nothing in it. I think you had to pay extra for the steering wheel, actually, back then. But it was just nothing in it. It's, it's crazy. And so what advertisers do, they play to your dissatisfaction. Why, be, why would you drive a Chevette when you could have a massage in the Mercedes-Benz, right? I mean, they play to our dissatisfaction that you have to need this in order for your life to be fulfilled. And now I'm not saying it's not wrong to have a Mercedes. If you can, glory to God and let me drive with you in that baby, okay? Let me drive for a day. I mean, it's not wrong. But the problem is if we are dissatisfied with our life, if we're looking for more and more to satisfy, if that's the end, guess what? We're going to be dissatisfied. If we don't see it as a blessing from the Lord and ultimately God gives us all things for our enjoyment, if we just see that as the end, then we'll always be dissatisfied. The second thing, the deadly result, the deadly deeds of coveting is debt. Debt. Coveting creates debt. My favorite quote relating to this is, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Can I get an amen? Okay, it's true. So what happens is this coveting creates debt because we think we need this thing. I love Ecclesiastes here. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And I love this statistic. Many, many years ago, Time Magazine did a, a survey on what you would be satisfied with your yearly income. And it was so interesting that people that made like 50,000 said, well, I'd be satisfied if I, if I made 70. Those that made 70 said, I'd be satisfied with 100,000. Those that made six figures would say, I'd be satisfied with 100. It was never, who, whatever salary income bracket you're in, it was never enough. There's there always this, this, this need to reach for the, the golden brass ring. It's just in my reach. And, and if I can just make a little more, I'll be more happy. How many of you know that never happens? And what begins to happen is to try to, to try to create some type of uh, satisfaction in our life. We end up going into debt. So what's the real problem? It's the problem is that we don't make enough. The problem uh, the problem is we don't we don't feel like we have enough. So if we don't feel like we have enough, then we go into debt to try to create this feeling that I'll feel better and more satisfied, and it never works. We end up going to more debt, more debt. And then the third thing, the three deadly deeds of coveting, is depression. The pressure of trying to keep up leads to this lack of significance and we falsely believe that stuff defines who I am. So I feel better if I had this. If I had this, I would feel better about my life. So how do we stop the train from going down into the three deadly D's of coveting, which is obviously the result of, co of covetousness? So how, what's the antidote for it? Well, the antidote for this, it all boils down to contentment. That's really the antidote for, 
for a covetousness heart, the antidote is contentment. And I believe this is where we all live. This is a difficult place to live in, especially in America, because it just, the, the proclivity of our heart is to lean towards discontentment because we're constantly bombarded with things and ideas and advertising that says you don't have enough and you need this and you need this. And it's very hard to live a content life with what we have. Um, so it boils down to contentment. Philippians, Paul says in Philippians 4, thir- uh, 11 through 13, listen to what Paul says. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in prosperity or plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ, through him who gives me strength. See, how can we guard our heart against uh, against coveting? Well, do the opposite. The opposite of coveting is is to give and to recognize that everything that the Lord gives us is a gift. So instead of thinking about what you don't have, be glad for what you do have. How many know that we are blessed to be living in America? We, we are blessed. I mean, if, if you drove to church this morning, you're among the elite of the world who actually drove to church this morning. If you have indoor plumbing, you are among the elite who live in the world today. And I know sometimes we don't feel that way, but if you look at the rest of the world and the way they live, we live in a very elite society that has many blessings and many comforts that we have at our fingertips that most people don't have. When you go on a missions trip to Central America and you're in the hills of Guatemala and you go to a family and they don't have money to take their little five-year-old daughter whose nose is just dripping and she has a terrible cold and she has a cough and they don't have the money to take her to a clinic to, to get antibiotics or whatever she needs and you've got the missionary John Ramos who's running around getting medication for her so that, so that we can help her and praying for her because the family has nowhere else to turn. We don't live like that. And so you begin to realize, wow, we really are a blessed nation. So instead of thinking about what you don't have, be glad for what you do have. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them and to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is what? Is a gift of God. Isn't that amazing that, that... Whatever God gives us, he gives us for our enjoyment. So here's, listen, oh, listen. Here's how we enjoy it. What what most Americans do is when they get something for their pleasure, the pleasure ends up in that thing. It stops there. It doesn't go beyond to thanking God for what they have. Do, Do you see what I mean? So God gives us things to enjoy for our pleasure to ultimately glorify him. So if, if, if we have a house to live in, we say, God, thank you for the roof that we have, and we give God the glory. We don't say, well, I earned this, and I deserve this, and this is my house because I work hard. We don't say that as followers of Christ. We say, God, you've given this to me, and ultimately, this is your house. Thank you for allowing me to live in your house, God. I appreciate it. I love that this is a gift, and he gives it. If we don't see it that way, then what begins to happen is we get discontented because we look over through the window and we're like, what are they building now back there? Are they building a sunroom back? What? What are they, 
Wah! And you're looking through the window and, you, you know, you're like, wow, now we need one, honey. Because so-and-so, they're built, why don't we have that? Right? Instead of seeing it as a gift that God has given us to enjoy for his good pleasure that he gives us. So enjoy what you have, not what you could have. Enjoy what the Lord's given you now. It, it's all right if you want to add a sunroom on your own. I'm not saying that's wrong. But enjoy what you have now. Guard your heart from that discontentment. See, we can easily miss the best moments in life because we're always thinking about what we don't have. I, I, I remember thinking this way when my kids were getting older, when, especially when they were young. And, um, you know, you get to the one stage where you're like, oh, I can't wait till they can walk. This is going to be so cool, you know. So with Colby, I was really trying to teach him how to walk at an early age. Get up there. Let's see if you can walk at eight months. And we picking him up. And, you know, and then you start walking, you know, and looks like a drunk little baby walking around the house. And, and so, you know, and then, and then Wes, oh, yeah, yeah. It was, and then when Lily came out, I was like, no, because what happens is when they start walking, they start getting into stuff. So I kept hitting Lily's legs out from under. Now you ain't learning to walk. <laughs> Staying right there. I love when they're at that age where you just stick them on the, just stick them on a, on a blanket and you can walk away and you come back a couple hours later and they're still there. They haven't moved, right? I love that. I love that. But how many of you know you can't do that anymore? Because when they start rolling around and start pulling them, so they, you know, then it's, you got to start baby-proofing the house and locking the cabinets, and it's just great with worrying about falling down the stairs. And did you lock? You know, it's just, you, know, you walk around all day. Did we lock the door? Did we lock the cabinet doors? Did we, you know, is everything put up on high shelves? So they, and everything. Well, I can't wait till they get to the age where we don't have to worry about that. And the problem is is we never enjoy the season that they're in now. Isn't that true? You know, oh, I can't wait till they, they get out of diapers so I don't have to change diapers anymore. That actually was a phase I was glad they got out of. So I, I, that was a bad, bad example there. No, but listen, God wants us to enjoy the moment. Enjoy the season that you're in now. You know, what's interesting, they, they did a little survey with uh, married couples. And they did this survey of, of married couples that have been married for a while. And they began to ask the married couples, think back to a time that you really enjoyed. Now, some of these married couples are well in years, and they, they had a nicer home when they were first married. And, you know, they were established. They had cars. They had better income when they were first married. And they went around the room, and they, they asked them. And the, the common thread with each married couple is they said, tell us of a time that you really enjoyed in your life. Every single couple went back to when they were first married. Do you remember when we couldn't even go out to eat unless it was a coupon? Unless we had a coupon. Do you remember when, when we couldn't afford vacation, so we would just go to a state park for the day, and that would be our mini vacation? And they all went back to when they were first married and the things that they did together because it was so much more creative, and they enjoyed that stage of their life. Wow! Isn't that amazing? So let's be careful that we're not enjoying the season. See, here's what the hardest point and, and contentment is. The hardest point is when we compare. Because we look at our lives and we wish that we had what 
someone else had what the Joneses had next door, right? We wish we had what they had, and so it creates this discontentment in our, in our hearts. So the, the hardest point in, in contentment is, is not comparison. And so when we begin to compare, what we end up doing is we get very selfish and very self-centered, and then the three deadly Ds begin to creep into our lives. So how do we break that? Because we all struggle with it. How do we break it? Let me show you how you break discontentment and, and, and a heart that's coveting. Instead of, listen, instead of taking away from someone's joy who, who, who is enjoying life and maybe some things that you don't have, instead of, instead of taking away for their joy, be glad for other people's increase. So in, instead of taking away from their joy, in fact, increase their joy. You see, let, let me go where everybody lives here, ready? It's easy for us to say tongue-in-cheek, boy, it must be nice to own a new car. I've never owned a new car. In fact, my car is 20 years old, and then you make the other person feel about this big. We've all done it, right? Uh, it, it must be nice to take a vacation. I haven't had a vacation in five years, right? So behind the other back, behind their back, we may even say things, how can they afford that? How can the neighbors next door afford that sunroom? What's going on over there? They fall into some inheritance we don't know about. What's going on over there? You see, listen, some of you may leave someone else's house and you say, wow, honey, they have antiques that go back to the 18th century. And you say, our furniture goes back to Rent-A-Center. Literally, it's got to go back to Rent-A-Center tomorrow, right? <laughs> oh, see, <laughs> listen, <laughs> That was a good one. That was a good one. I got to know. That was a good one. All right. <laughs> All right. You see, the, pro <laughs> the problem is laced within those comments is what? It's the temptation to compare ourselves. It's always. And, and we feel better if we can put someone else down and we say, woe is me. It's just as bad as someone flaunting their wealth in someone else's face, right? It's just as bad. It can work both ways if we're not careful. So instead, here's how you break that lust in your heart, that covenant, covetousness in your heart. Be happy for people. Instead of criticizing, rejoice with them. Instead of comparing, be joyful for them. When others tell you that something good has happened to them, a vacation or a new home, be glad for them. Add to their joy. Don't be a downer in the situations. Don't say things like, well, you're going to be paying a lot more taxes now. Wah, wah, wah. Right? They know. Just don't add to, the, to, to just putting them down. Add to their joy. Say, you know, I'm really happy for you. So it goes down to the heart again. Instead of taking from someone, give to them. Graciously so into someone else's life. They move into a new home, give them a housewarming gift. Give them a plant. 
say, I'm happy for you. You moved into your new home. This is exciting for you guys. You know, I still got my Renaissance furniture, you know. But you know what? I'm going to be happy for you, and I'm going to give you a plant to celebrate with what God has done in your life. You see, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18 gives us a great heed of warning here. I love this wisdom that we get from the Holy Spirit because this is the antidote to a heart that is filled just with, with a coveted heart or a lustful heart. Here's the antidote. The antidote is to give, and this is what Paul tells young Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Don't, don't, don't let the wealth be the finality. Look beyond the wealth to say, God, this is a gift from you and, and we praise you for it and we want to be good stewards with the blessings that you've given in our lives. He says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for what? Our enjoyment. He, God provides it for our enjoyment. He said, uh, command them to do good, to be rich in what? Good deeds. And here's the kicker. Are you ready? And to be generous and willing to share. Every single one of us in this room are rich. We're rich. We can be generous. We can be, we can be rich in the way that we are generous. That's what breaks. That's the antidote which breaks the heart that covets. You know, I've shared this story before, but it's so fitting. Woman in Belize were looking for, you know, the buckets to, to pour concrete. And we didn't have enough plastic buckets because we, we had to fill things really quick and we didn't want the concrete to set up. And there's this woman that had tons of plastic buckets in her front yard, dirt floor house, but she had buckets. She was rich in buckets. And in fact, at that moment, she was the richest woman in Belize because we needed those buckets. We would have paid anything for those buckets, otherwise we couldn't get the job done. So we, walked, we went up to her house and we said, hey, we're building a school over here. We noticed that you have all these plastic buckets. You're, they're wonderful. Can we borrow the buckets? So that she goes, she goes, no problem. In Spanish, we had an interpreter. She goes, no problem. And they were kind of dirty. And what she did was she took the buckets and she began to clean the buckets for us. We're like, no, no, we'll do that. She goes, no, I want, I want to help. She was so rich and giving us the buck. She never asked for a penny. She had us over a barrel. She could have said, hey, what are you, you know. And, you know, if that happened in America, they'd be like, okay, let's, let's talk dollars and cents here, right, shall we? You're really over a hard place, aren't you? And uh, I've got these buckets and you need these buckets. So, you know, $55 a bucket, whatever. But she's like, no, I want to get, she was generous in giving her buckets. And so when we were coming off the job site, we had a lot of, we had to bring food in because we were like, 20 miles off the main road and so we had to make all our own lunches and we had all this extra food and we went to her house and we said hey we got all canned goods and chips and we just said and we just said hey thank you for allowing us to use your buckets and we just loaded food on her and canned goods and blessed her and um, she just started to cry she didn't expect anything that's what Paul is talking about be we are all None of us are like that woman. None of us in this room. He said, be like that. Be generous. That's what breaks 
my heart of comparison. That's what breaks my heart when, when I want to covet after someone else. That's what breaks it. What breaks it is generosity. Let's be just the opposite. Let's be generous in the way we give to one another. Let's be generous in, in the way we compliment one another. Let's be generous in the way uh, we share with one another in their time of, of joy. See, one thing I love about this church, I love about Living Word, is that you guys give well. You give well. When I talk about missions trips or whatever, you just give well. And I heard this testimony of a woman in our church who was at a local restaurant, and there was a woman that was a server there, and they got on the topic of church. And the woman said, well, where do you go to church? Because well, I, I go to Living Word. She goes, she lit up like, I know that church. And she's like, really? She goes, yeah, that was the church that had the school giveaway for supplies, right? And she goes, yeah, that was the church. She goes, I can't believe that a church would do that. I could, it helped me out. And I don't know if she's a single mom or not, but she goes, that helped me out so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You see, it's about Generosity. It's about saying, God, you've given me so much. How can I be generous with what you've given me? And some of you are the people that have the five coins. Some of you are the people that have two. Some of you have one. But it's not, it's not how much we have. It's what we're doing with what the Lord has given us. Because ultimately, it's his, right? So it's not about the number, it's not about how much I have or don't have. It's about what am I doing with what God has given me? And how, how am I generous with that? So what do we leave with today? Am I glad for what others have? Do, do I hold encouragement from others because secretly I'm jealous or secretly I'm envious of what they have? Um, am I glad for what others have? How am I doing at giving? How, am I generous? Or do I sit back and just say, well, I don't have anything to give. I'm just, I don't have anything to give. Am I generous in the way, and I'm not just talking about financially, but am I just generous with my time? Am I generous with my compliments? Am I, am I generous in how I encourage other people? That, that's what it's about, because when you do that, you break the hold of lust and covetousness in our hearts. See, it's all about relationship, right? It comes <laughs> go for, full circle. And it comes all the way back to relationships. So let's not judge each other. If some have more, let's not judge that. We don't, we're not going to judge that. We're going we're gonna to be glad. See, it all comes back to, to much is given, much is required. What am I doing, Lord, with what you've given me? And how generous am I with what you've given me? Lord, if I've got a plastic bucket to give and that's all I have to give, then I'm going to give graciously. That woman's heart was so pure. Bottom line. Driven by the grace of God to meet a need and she felt so thankful that she, that she could give. Whew. That's the heart I want. That's where I want to live. And when we live in that state, it doesn't become mine, my toy, and I'm going to pick it up and move on. It becomes the Lord's. And I say, Lord, you gave it. 
not for me to be selfish and stingy. You've given it to me to glorify you. How am I giving? How am I being generous with everything you've given me, Lord? God is good, isn't he? He's so gracious to us each and every day. So let's guard our hearts there. Lord, I I just pray today that, God, you would guard our hearts in this area. I know, Lord, this isn't easy. I know this isn't, uh, this, this is an area in our lives that we all struggle with. But, Lord, just, just guard our hearts here. And, and, Lord, maybe we need to ask ourselves, well, where are areas in our lives that I've been a little stingy in? Maybe it's giving compliments or encouraging someone that something good has happened to them. Um, even when things aren't going my way, God, do I hold back compliments because it's not happening to me? Or, Lord, am I, am I generous in the way I encourage other people? Am I generous with my finances? Am I generous with everything that you've given me, Lord? Am I generous with my time? Lord, just speak to us in this area. And, Lord, when we do that, it breaks that hold in our lives, and we become a people that are Christ-centered. We become a people that live through Jesus Christ and not through ourselves. So, Lord, we thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you that you're faithful. And Lord, I pray every morning we would just wake up and thank you for the roof that we have over our head, to thank you for the vehicle that we drive, just to thank you for everything that you've given us. May may we just be a people that count our blessings, God. And thank you for all that you've done for us. And then we would turn that blessing around and just praise you again and again and again and again. So we thank you, Lord, for being patient with us. And so, Lord, just speak to our hearts now as we give you our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Make this your prayer today as we just pray and as we sing to the Lord as we close the service today. Just allow the Lord to speak to your heart. Let's just worship him. Amen. God bless you.
Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't that a good day today? Amen. God is good. Amen. Praise God. Listen, before you go, make sure you check out the table to sign up for the Acts groups. And uh, just God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Go Bills. Guys, have a great day. Amen. God bless you. Amen.